0: Welcome to day 146 of the story that changes everything. And congratulations, we're now 40% of our way through the Bible. You're doing great. Our readings for today complete the 16th book of the Bible. We're reading Nehemiah chapters 12 and 13. Here's some thoughts to guide your reading for today. Chapter 12 begins to draw to a close the mission and work of Nehemiah. Now that the walls are complete, the population of Jerusalem has begun to flourish, and the people have once again centered their life in covenant with the Lord. It was time to not only celebrate and rejoice, but to dedicate the entire city to God's purposes. There are several verbs that dominate the story of dedication. The first is that people sought out the Levites. The times when Israel flourished, it was when kings and priests worked together to lead the people in life and faith. But in the absence of a king, The people sought out the Levites, and the names of the priestly leaders and families that mark the history for the people are given in the chapter and connect Judah with the continuity of their past. Next, they purified the people and the gates and the walls. Not just the priests and people were to be consecrated holy, but also the material aspects of Jerusalem were purified and set apart for divine use the renewed covenant dedication to God included every aspect of the reestablished life of the city. Then they gave thanks and rejoiced. The people marched in two processions of singing and praise. Ezra led one group counterclockwise around the city and the walls while Nehemiah led the other group clockwise. They gave thanks to God because they recognized the divine action behind all that had been accomplished. Their redemption was from God and not of their own making, but they also rejoiced in the newness of life they were experiencing. All that had been accomplished happened in part because of the unity of the people, and this unity gave to them a renewed hope and vision for the future. Finally, they appointed leaders and they performed the service of their God. The ceremony of dedication ended with the appointment of people to carry on the work of the temple and to care for the needs of the people as a community of worship, These are forward-looking actions that have a future trajectory in mind. This dedication service was a brief moment in time where the past and the future connected together for the people, and they give praise to God for what He has done through His people in the past, what He's accomplishing in the present, and what God will do through them in the future. Chapter 13 serves as a kind of epilogue and final warning for the people. After spending 12 years in Jerusalem rebuilding the city, Probably between 445 and 433 BC, Nehemiah then left Jerusalem and returned to the Persian court of Artaxerxes. Apparently, his leave of absence from the king had expired. Unfortunately, in his absence, the people turned back to many of the destructive habits that shaped their life prior to Nehemiah's renewal. Because of this, Nehemiah had to ask the king for permission to return once again to Jerusalem. It's important to notice that the book of Nehemiah does not end on the optimistic note sounded by the joyful dedication of the walls in chapter 12. Rather, the book ends with the recognition of the community's constant temptation to abandon the covenant relationship that they have re entered with God and return to the sinful practices that they had been living into prior to the restoration of their life as God's unique people. The challenge is related primarily to three areas the temple, the Sabbath, and faith fidelity in marriage. Eliashib had been appointed high priest over the temple. During Nehemiah's absence, two of the people who caused Nehemiah problems earlier in the story re-entered the picture, Tobiah and Sanballat. The high priest, Eliashib, granted a spacious chamber within the temple to Tobiah the Ammonite. Then he married the daughter of Sanballat. Essentially, with Nehemiah gone, there arose a new interest in reestablishing relationships with the powerful people surrounding Jerusalem, even if that meant tainting or corrupting the purity of Judean worship. This move into the temple was significant because Tobiah's power, which had been marginalized by Nehemiah, was now fully reestablished. It must have been delightful to Tobiah to have his belongings take precedence over the tithes, the incense, and other instruments set aside for the worship of Judah's God. Tobiah literally set up his home right there in the center of Jerusalem's worship life. He had fully regained his influence upon the people. When Nehemiah arrived and discovered the presence of Tobiah in a temple chamber, he acted immediately. He threw Tobiah's belongings into the street and commanded that this chamber and the adjacent chambers be purified from their contamination. Also in Nehemiah's absence, the giving of tithes began to be neglected. Because the Levites could no longer sustain their life through the tithes, they were forced to move out to the rural areas to farm for survival. Thus their duties in the temple were being neglected. Tobias' presence in the temple makes the reader wonder if part of the neglect of the tithes also had to do with the misuse or siphoning of the funds by those in power. In addition, when Nehemiah returned and visited the rural areas around Jerusalem, he noticed that the Jews were not observing the Sabbath as a sacred day. Rather than resting on the Sabbath, the Judeans were continuing their daily work. They were making wine and carrying their loads of grain by donkey into Jerusalem. The Sabbath had become just like any other day. For Nehemiah, Sabbath was a core principle for Judean identity. Without Sabbath observance, they were disobeying the law and becoming just like all the other nations. Nehemiah instituted three practical remedies. First, he closed the gates of Jerusalem during the Sabbath so that traders would be unable to travel in or out of the city. Second, Nehemiah threatened with punishment those who tried to trade outside the city gates. And third, Nehemiah enlisted the Levites to guard the gates for the sake of the faith. Finally, when he returned, he discovered that the Judean children born to foreign mothers didn't speak Hebrew, but instead spoke Ammonite, Moabite, and the language of Ashdod. By neglecting the primary language of the faith, they had brought the purity of their religion into danger. Failing to pass the language of faith on to the next generation would mean that there would automatically be a steady erosion of Judean identity and the levels of thinking and expression related to the Torah. A failure to speak the language of faith would mean an inability to hear the Word of God. In the compromise of a single generation, the work of centuries, Nehemiah worried, would be undone. The book of Nehemiah then ends with a short prayer, Remember me, O my God, for good. Nehemiah asks the Lord to remember all the things he had done for the purposes of God's people. The book concludes, leading the reader to wonder if the people of God will ever be able to function apart from the inspired leadership embodied in leaders like Ezra and Nehemiah. In an important sense, Nehemiah's prayer is a request for assurance that the work he had done would not ultimately be in vain, but that God would sustain and protect it Nehemiah's faithful work. He said, I cleansed, I established, I provided. All that work gave the renewed nation of Judah a vitality of faith that it never wholly lost. But more importantly, however, from the soil of Nehemiah's efforts, a shoot would come from the stump of Jesse. God would ultimately answer Nehemiah's prayer by bringing a new leader that would spring from Nehemiah's work and not merely restore the old covenant, but bring a new covenant in his life, death, and resurrection. We now move to the book of Esther, the last of the historical books in the Old Testament. We move on to the literature books next, but the book of Esther will force us to go back in time just a bit to pick up her fascinating story. So at the end of Ezra and Nehemiah, there is now a break, a 300 to 400 year gap of biblical silence between the Old and New Testaments. The history draws to a close with an ending still open, looking forward to what God will do next, and how God will complete the story. We start into the book of Esther tomorrow by reading chapters 1 through 3, and we're adding Psalm 62. I'll talk to you tomorrow.